0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1485.
1: Do as yourself as you want others to do to you.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! I am so revved up and excited to share with you today a very special guest, calling in from just outside of Birmingham in the UK, John Fitzpatrick. John Fitzpatrick is a former English race car driver who is a two-time European GT champion, three-time Porsche Cup winner, and the 1980 USA IMSA champion. Today, he still works in motorsports as a consultant, working at corporate events, driver management, and he still drives in vintage racing events as well. How cool is that? John's been at the wheel since 1963 when he raced Mini Coopers, and then he won the British Saloon Car Championship in 1966. His career has taken him around the world, put him in the seats of numerous winning teams and cars, and is with co-drivers to many of the biggest names in racing. In his new book titled, Fitz, My Life at the Wheel, he chronicles 22 years competing on the most famous circuits in the world in some of the most iconic like, cars from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And in my pre-show chat with John, I found out that uh, I actually watched him race in Del Mar back when I was a young man uh, living uh, in Southern California. So how cool is that? We'll be back in just a minute to talk with John, but first a word from our valued sponsors that make Cars Yeah! possible. Hey, Cars Yeah! I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark, a Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you a Cars yeah subscriber? If you're not, go to Carsya.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler-up book. It's a very cool book I created of fuel filler fun, some very cool imagery, and great quotes from past guests here on Cars yeah. Plus, you'll get my weekly email follow-up and my weekly blog. Just go to Carsya.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send it to you right away. Thanks for subscribing. All right, John, welcome to Cars Yeah! from across the pond. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, I'm raring to go. All right, good to have you here. Before we start, could you tell our listeners, just kind of do a little catch-up, and I know saying the word little with the life you've had is kind of a silly thing here, but kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're up to these days.
1: Yes, well, I've been retired from uh, international racing for quite some time, but I have done quite a lot of uh, vintage racing, Uh, but I stopped doing that five, six years ago, Uh, and uh, I'm basically, I consult to one or two teams, Uh, I write, I write for a monthly magazine, Classic Cars in the UK, and uh, I've just uh, finished uh, my book, My Life at the Wheel, and in fact, we've just published another book called John Fitzpatrick's Racing Porsches, which is uh, more of a big coffee table book, but it details virtually every car, every Porsche that I drove.
0: Oh my gosh, that is cool. Well, we've got to make sure that we uh, we get that in some hands too. You drove a lot of Porsches too, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, I, I spent uh, over 50% of my racing career in Porsches and uh, most of my wins came in, in Porsches. Most of my championships came in Porsches. The best racing years of my life were spent in california when we lived in la jolla
0: you know so talking to john in our pre-show chat turns out i grew up in la jolla he lived in la jolla in the 80s and i was there i was living uh just married and living up the coast in del mar but uh, it's so funny what a small world here we are chatting uh across the seas uh it turns out you lived in my hometown that's fascinating
1: yeah we enjoyed la jolla and both my sons were born there uh In fact, uh, I regret leaving California. It was probably a big mistake. I should have stayed in California. It's a fabulous place, and uh, it brought me most of my successes and and great racetracks there. I mean, Riverside, what a wonderful racetrack that is. I mean, I had had three great wins at Riverside and uh, Sears Point, Portland, a great place to be a race car driver.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once you leave California, and I left there 26 years ago, It's hard to go back, especially how expensive it's it's gotten down there. Uh, It's a tough place to get back into. But uh, I certainly had an idyllic childhood growing up there in the ocean and surfing and being around those races and going to those races in Del Mar and seeing you run there. uh, I told John that my wife has not really been into cars her whole life, but I took her to those races in Del Mar and she fell in love with it. I mean, she said, this is nothing like watching on TV. I mean, you can feel it in your chest when these cars go by. And that wasn't a particularly fast track, uh super tight, kind of like racing in the streets of long Beach, but this is incredible. Tell our listeners maybe one little thing, John, that most people may not know about you
1: that's a, quite a difficult one probably the, <laughs> uh, probably the thing that stands out mostly in my mind is that uh I left school early, I left school at seventeen, and I left school to become a professional golfer. I've been playing golf since I was seven years old I won boys championships in the uk and uh played for england against scotland and i had my heart set on uh becoming a golf pro i left school my father said i'll give you 12 months to see if you can how you can do hit so he financed me for 12 months and then halfway through that year i uh, no, earlier in the year it was it was quite icy and i was out with some friends and i fell over and i broke my wrist so i couldn't play golf for two or three months and then believe it or not I then fell off my bicycle and broke the other wrist. So within six months, I'd broken both wrists, and really my golfing career was gone. And then I started in motor racing, and basically there again, that was thanks to my father. My father did me an incredible favor. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, he said, if you don't smoke and you don't ride a motorbike, he said, I'll buy you a car when you're 17. And when I was 17, the Mini Cooper came out in the U.K., and he bought me a Mini Cooper. And I came home on my 17th birthday uh, on my bicycle. I'd been out for the day on my bicycle. And I came home, and there was a new Mini Cooper sitting in the driveway. And uh, that was just absolutely incredible. And, and basically, one or two of my friends were into cars. We started modifying the cars and making them go quicker, sort of little mini hot rods.
0: And that's how I got into motor racing. Wow, this is a fascinating story. Well, we got to keep you off bicycles, that's for sure. Yeah, but you know, it's funny how things in life happen and they evolve into something else. And I think about this, I mean, it wouldn't be bad to be a professional golfer your whole life. I've always said if I could pick one sport to be the best at and compete at, it would be golf. And I've never even played golf other than miniature golf. But it, you think about golf, uh, you get to be in beautiful settings all over the world And you can play until you drop dead. I mean, you know, uh, unlike most sports where your body gives out. So fascinating story. Well, that's very interesting. I didn't know about about that with you, John. So thanks for sharing that. I would love for you to share a success quote or a mantra, maybe some kind of saying that's stuck with you throughout your life to help with your success. It's a nice way to get those inspirational tires smoking here on cars. Yeah. So, John, grab the wheel.
1: Well, my father gave me a good tip when I was, uh, I mean, he did a lot of, Great, great man, my father. Fabulous man. I owe everything to him. And he said to me at some stage, I don't remember how old he was. I, uh, I think I'd had some argument with some kid at school or golf or something like that. And he said, he said, son, he said, do as yourself as you want others to do to you. And I'll never forget that. And that was the best. Piece of advice he ever gave me. So treat other people the way you want to be treated yourself. And uh, you know, for all the young people listening in, hopefully there are young people listening in. You know, that's a really good thing to keep in the back of your mind.
0: Well, it's the old golden rule that I learned in uh, in church when I was a little boy. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the same kind of concept. And I've always thought, and I agree with you. Your dad was a very special man, of course. Uh if everybody in the world followed that simple rule what a happy place this world would be not that it's a bad place but you know there's some bad things that happen but yeah just be nice to other people uh treat people the way you want to be treated on all respects uh, people that are waiting on you at a restaurant or across a counter or people you encounter on a bus or offer them a chair give them an arm if they need it uh, it's so simple but so many people are so selfish and uh, they just don't follow it so What a great way to go through life. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about what has you excited and fired up today. You've talked about two books. I want to start with Fitz, My Life at the Wheel. Tell us a little bit about this book. I'll tell our listeners first. It's 216 pages. There's over 130 black and white photos, over 230 color photos. It's absolutely spectacular if you love racing. So let's talk about that, and then we'll talk about the second book in a moment.
1: Well, yes. The... uh I wrote it, uh, I think I started three years ago, and my wife said, uh, you know, she said, you want to put down on paper what you've done for the boys, because the boys, you know, they're, I mean, they're not kids anymore, but they don't really know exactly what I did. So she said, you should put down paper what you did for the boys, and it really developed from there. And I spent 12 months writing it, probably doing two or three hours in the evening, two or three times a week, and uh, I wrote the whole thing myself. I had a great friend who was a race car driver as well, Michael Kaiser, who lives over on the, on the East Coast and he's published a few books and he edited it for me. He, he, he made sure the spelling was right and the commas were in the right place. Uh, but I basically, I did the whole thing myself and I really enjoyed doing it because he just kept bringing back memories and more memories and more memories and, uh, like everybody else, I'm sure once you're finished, you see, you know, and you send it to the publisher, you remember things that you've left out. It's, uh, yeah. It always gives you a chance to come back and have another go.
0: Yeah. Michael's been a guest here on the show. Of course, he's uh, published and written some fascinating, fabulous books. You know, I've always said everybody should do this. Now, not everybody has a life like John Fitzpatrick has had, the excitement of racing and so forth. But everybody's life is worth Remembering and to take the time when you have the time to sit down and write your memoirs, if you will, especially for your children and people in your life. It's, it's a worthwhile thing to do. And nowadays you can self publish. You can produce books online, even one or two copies to give to your kids. They'll bind them and put them together. I think it's really worthwhile. Let me ask you this. As you were writing this book, maybe if you could share one thing that came back to you that kind of made you pause and go, wow, I did that. (laughs)
1: I don't think there
0: was one particular thing but as I was writing
1: it and getting towards the end you know I kept saying to myself John you know you are the luckiest guy in the world you know you've (laughs) you've spent your life doing something that you love earning reasonably good money doing it and you're still around and on the way I lost a lot of friends I mean I lost a lot of friends Uh, back in the 70s you know barely a week went by when someone wasn't seriously hurt or or killed but the great thing was I used to travel a lot I spent a lot of time in the states as you know I spent between 6 7 years in the states and uh, met a, a lot of, a lot of people a lot of the the top drivers in the states and in fact for the third time last night I watched ford versus ferrari
0: yeah but, great movie
1: and I knew a lot of the guys there i mean ken miles He was born in Birmingham. You know, he was a Brummie, the same as me. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The way the guy got his accent was absolutely perfect. And his wife as well, because she was the same. And Shelby, I mean, Carol Shelby, what a fabulous guy he was. I mean, larger than life character, absolutely larger than life. So, and Bruce McLaren, and all that. I mean, I've been lucky enough to meet and mix with a lot of these guys. And a lot of them were were my heroes.
0: Well, what a life. I mean, it's just. It's incredible. I'll make sure to put links on the show notes page for John and the Carjia yeah! website where you can get your hands on a copy of this book because it's absolutely brilliant. Now, tell me about this second book.
1: Well, the second book, there's a gentleman in England called Henry Pearman who is a real enthusiast, Porsche enthusiast, and he's uh, got a very successful business, and he's got a he likes to collect and buy nice cars, racing cars, and he owns. Three of the uh, Porsches, which I had a lot of success in, and uh, he decided to—he'd uh, like to put things down in print—and he he uh, he he financed the whole thing. He, it's a real coffee table-sized book. It's twice the size of the of the other book. It's not something you carry around under your arm, but uh, it, it's got wonderful, wonderful pictures in it it it, uh, it covers basically all my career and all the race cars that I drove but it's it really features on the last of those fabulous uh, Porsches the the Le Mans Porsches the 962s the 956s and uh and it's doing well it's it's a very it's an expensive book it's much more expensive than the other one but as i say it's a real collector's item and uh it's doing uh it's actually when he decided to do it i thought goodness me this is going to cost him a fortune you know and but he's selling really well he's getting his money back and hopefully he'll make a bit of profit and and when he makes a bit of profit, he gives me a bit of it. So that's good as well.
0: <laughs> well, absolutely. Uh, tell us the title of that second book again, would you? It's called
1: John Fitzpatrick's Porsches.
0: Very, very cool. Well, I'll make sure I put a link to that as well, where our listeners can get their hands on a copy of that and uh, put that that beautiful book uh, and that history uh, on their table. Let me ask you this. When did you realize that being a race car was a thing for a race car, a race car driver, <laughs> I should say? Was the thing for you to do? I know you share a little bit about starting off in golfing and then you got that Mini Cooper and that kind of uh, bit the bug for you. But was there a point in time when you went, you know what, I'm going to be a race car driver. This is it.
1: It sort of gathered pace sort of quite slowly, really. It probably took, uh, I was working in my father's business. My father had a truck bodybuilding business. And uh, when I started racing, I was actually working in his business and for probably six or seven years, I continued working in his business. Uh, then, then he decided he wanted to retire, so he wanted to sell the business. So then I took the plunge to go full time motor racing, and it, it worked out. I was lucky to be with good teams, and uh, you know, won a few races, and people asked me to drive their cars and other people. And then the the big deal was uh, towards the end of the seventies. Uh, I was at Le Mans. And in 79, there was a guy there called Dick Barber from San Diego. Oh, oh yes, yes. Remember Dick? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, a great, great character. Great, great character. Super, super guy. And uh, we were chatting in in the pits at Le Mans. He said, Fitz, he always called me Fitz. Never called me just Fitz. He said, Fitz, what are you doing next year? I said, uh, well, you know, I'll probably carry on driving for this German team that I'm driving for and, uh, you know, see how things go. He said, uh you ever thought of coming to America? And I said, well, I've, I've thought about it, but it seems a long, you know, long way off. I mean, I'd already raced in the States a lot. I'd been to Daytona most years in the 70s, and I'd probably been there two or three times a year, uh, but uh, never really uh, thought about it. And he said, after the season finishes towards the end of the year, he said, come out and stay with me in San Diego, see if you like it. He said, I'm going to run a two car team next year. I've got good sponsorship. He said, and I want you to be the lead driver. He said, but if you're going to do it, you've got to live in California. And I, that's exactly what happened. I went out there, I looked around, loved it. I hadn't been to San Diego before, and uh, absolutely loved it. My wife loved it as well. And uh, we said, well, let's let's take the plunge. And it was the best thing we ever did. And the, that first year, I won the championship. Then uh, I picked up one or two sponsors. One of the sp- actually one of the sponsors I got. After I drove for Dick, Dick stopped racing at the end of the first year that I drove for him. We'd won the championship, we'd the Inter championship, we'd won the Porsche Cup, and uh, Dick was having a few a, a few money problems with his car dealerships, and he decided he was going to stop the race team. So there mm-hmm. was me. I'd I'd been in California for a whole year, moved over there. <laughs> My wife was there. We'd had our first child there, and suddenly I'm out of a drive. So I decided. I'm going to start my own team. And the reason I did that was that I'd met a guy in uh, in La Jolla uh, who was a Porsche fanatic, and he wanted to be a sponsor. And uh, for three years, he sponsored my race team. He put a lot of money into it, and he appeared to be a very successful guy. But his name was uh, Dominelli, and uh, the the initials were (laughs) J. David. Yep. of course, it turned out he was he was a fraudster. He was running a Ponzi scheme. and Yes. And the whole thing collapsed around us. And, in fact, when that happened, I found it almost impossible to find equivalent sponsorship in California. So I then picked up a, a sponsorship from Skull Bandit. You know the little skull chewing tobacco? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they wanted to promote in Europe. And they said, if you move back to Europe with the race team, we'll sponsor you for three years over there. So that's when we left California.
0: Wow. You know, it's funny how these circles all run around. Now, I, I mentioned I grew up in La Jolla and I was there. La Jolla in the 70s, San Diego in the 70s. It was an idyllic place, just, you know, fantasy place. Dominelli, J. David. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember him well. In fact, I had my own detailing business when I was in junior high and high school, which was the 70s. He was one of my clients. I used to detail his cars. Uh, And I would go to, yeah, I would go to his offices in downtown La Jolla, beautiful place. He looked like a superstar investor. I mean, just incredible guy. And in fact, he even hired me to do some graphic design for him, for his stationery and business cards, uh, helped him redesign his logo. I know Jay David very, very well. And of course, as we all know, he was the big Ponzi guy, um, you know, a lot like some of these other characters. Uh, and I don't mean to laugh because he swindled a lot of money out of a lot of people. Uh Turned out to be terrible. I don't, still to this day, I don't know how his wife got away with walking out as he went off to prison. But that's another story. But isn't it interesting? Yeah, Jay David, and I remember the cars he sponsored, too. I remember seeing you race those cars. He he got turned off the racing, as a lot
1: of people did, uh, at a race at Riverside. The last time we – I had two cars running at Riverside, and a great friend of mine, Rolf Stomlin, a German driver, was driving the one. Uh, Jerry was there. Dominelli was there. And he got about a 100 guests there, an area at the side of the track. And uh, Rolf, in the in our second car, in our J. David car, uh, he had a, a horrendous accident and was actually
0: killed. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and that really, uh, Jerry Dominelli, that turned him off. And even more so, the girl that was his partner called Nancy Hoover. Remember, she was the mayor of Del Mar. Oh, yes. And, and she was Jerry's, well, he's, it was his girlfriend, I think. And uh, then the whole thing started to collapse. And poor old, you know, Jerry was, he was such a low key guy. He was I so, know. so believable. But as you say, he got 15 years in prison, and uh, I think he did 10. And he yeah. came out, and he died within a couple of years. And, of course, yeah. he, he was penniless. But
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I have a, a massive amount to thank him for, but, of course, he was using other people's money to do it.
0: Yeah, it was a shame. Uh, and, you know, I, when that whole thing fell apart, I felt bad, too, because, you know, I, I lo- really looked up to him. I was a young kid. And I would look at his offices and his home and I would drive his cars to my house and detail them and go, man, this guy, I should go into finance. This is the thing to do. Uh, But as we all know, that was not the rest of the story. Let's take a quick break. Say hello to our sponsors and uh, talk about challenging times. We'll be right back and I'm going to ask you about a huge challenging time in your life. Uh, So hold on one minute. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSJA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. All right, John, we are back or fits. I like calling you fits, if I may. That's kind of fun. Of course. Yeah, it's very cool. I feel like I know you all so much better now. I, you know, you chose a career that was fraught with ups and downs racing. Sam, I don't know if anything you could pick that's more fraught with ups and downs, maybe professional sports like golf. There's another one. Uh, you're a daring man. Tell us about a huge challenge or even a big failure that you face in your life that kind of stands out. But more importantly, what was the lesson learned from that experience, and how did that lesson help you move forward in a positive way with your career and your life?
1: That's a difficult one because, to be honest, I've I've been really lucky. I mean, I've had several accidents and just walked away. A lot of my friends didn't walk away, and uh, all all along things have happened to me. And I really have said many times to myself and to my wife, you know, we are so lucky. I mean, we are so lucky. I've not hurt myself. We've. Uh, you know, good money doing this. We have a nice lifestyle. We've got two great kids. You know, what else could anybody want? And uh, yes. I was really, I, I was really lucky in my, uh, in my, in, in my, in my life. And uh, yeah, I'm the first to admit it.
0: Well, I'm always the first to say that I don't believe a lot in luck. I think it's a combination of uh, skill and hard work combined with opportunity, and that's definitely. What you did, I would imagine probably one of the biggest challenges being a race car driver, and as you mentioned earlier, especially in the era that you drove, was losing so many friends. Because as you said, every weekend we were losing a driver or seriously, one was getting seriously injured. Um, when, you're, when you were driving back then and you saw that happening around you, and I've always asked some of my past racing guests this question, how do you get back in that car, like when your partner there uh, died in the J. David car? and focus again and keep going. I mean, is there a, a way to turn that off somehow or do you use that as okay, this is what happened, I'm not going to do that?
1: Yeah, I I really believe that you say to yourself, you know, that's not going to happen to me. You never believe it's going to happen to you. You really don't. Right. But of course, it's the people around you that it affects and that's really why I stopped driving as early as I did. I could have done another 4 or 5 years, but at Riverside that day, my wife We got our youngest son. He was still a baby in arms, really. But uh, her mother came out and was looking after him while uh, we were doing the race at Riverside. And Sandra, my wife, was doing the timing. So she was sitting on the pit wall doing the lap scoring and the timing. And uh, Rolf was a great friend of mine. We had the accident. We didn't know at the time how bad it was. And as soon as the race finished, they came up to us and they told us that Rolf had died in the accident. And it hit her so hard, and it hadn't occurred to me before, you know, the the effect it would have. And I thought, well, Jesus, you know, she's if she, if it, losing Rolf has had that effect on her, how must she think about me being out there all the time? And that was really the reason – why three or four months later I, I stopped driving and then decided to carry on and run my own team, but not to drive. And I did it really because of the effect that it had on my wife when Rolf got killed.
0: Yeah, I understand that a hundred percent. And when you you have people around you like that, and then you see the effects, and you think to yourself, "What if it were me? How would my family carry on? My children, my spouse?" And you know, I used to ride motorcycles, and one year I lost three friends in one year, and my wife never really said much about my motorcycle riding, but I knew she didn't like it. And I just finally said, you know what, people are, this was when people were starting to use phones and cars. And I went, you know, every day I ride, people try to kill me. They don't even know it yeah. uh, because they're not paying attention. And so I sold the bikes and said, you know, I've got kids, they're coming up on college. They need to be supported yeah. and my wife needs to be supported. And I stopped doing that. But uh yeah, tough times for sure. Well, let me ask you this question, Fitz. What was the first race car you got in that you went, man, I've made it. I'm a racer. I assume it's, it's not the saloon cars or the minis. It was probably something quite spectacular past that.
1: Yeah, I think it was the first of the turbocharged Porsches, because suddenly uh, I've been racing Porsches, uh, Porsches have been racing, and suddenly they decide to turbocharge the car. So w- we suddenly had an extra 200 horsepower overnight. And it, <laughs> wow. was, and it was just incredible i mean that really was the first turbo porsche was really the most exciting car i've driven i've never driven single seaters uh, i never really wanted to and uh, probably mainly because i was lucky enough to be getting uh good drives and well paid in uh in sedans and gts and prototypes so i didn't need to do single seaters but uh you know, there was no way I was going to go around Indianapolis and all that sort of thing. And I thought, I'll, I'll leave that to the other guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I've had lots of car drivers. Uh, in fact, the week we're recording your show, uh, Willie T. Ribbs was my guest just a few days ago. Ah, right. And uh, yeah, amazing guy, overcame a lot of challenges, uh, of course, being a, a black driver, but racing at Indy. And yeah, he drove a lot of different stuff. So what a character. He's he's an interesting guy.
1: Yeah. I got to know Willie quite well. And, in fact, there was one point, I forget exactly where he was or why it was, but we almost uh, took him to drive one of our cars. And I can't remember the circumstances. But, yeah, yeah, I, I knew Willie. I mean, he he got uh, – he was one of these really confident guys, always got plenty to say for himself, but a really, really nice guy and a hell of a driver. A hell oh, yeah. Of a driver. I think yeah. his best successes came with uh, – I know he he had plans on India, but I think with the Camaro, with the General Motors, I think that was his best.
0: Yeah, he did great. And, of course, I'll remind our listeners, you got to check out the uh, documentary on Willie T. Ribs uh, titled Uppity, uh, done by Adam Carolla, who's been a guest here on the show as well. It's cool. Let's go back to this uh, turbocharged Porsche era. Um, tell our listeners, uh, if you can recall, and I'm sure you can, you're a sharp guy. Uh, all the different Porsche models that you raced.
1: Yeah, well, I started off in the in the the basic 911s, you know, with the two liter engines, and then that became two point five liters, two point seven liters, and then gradually the tires got bigger, the wheels got bigger, and that was quite a big leap to a thing called the RSR. the, the yes. Of an RSR, which was a three liter, and that had that was a good car, and then that was the car that they. Uh, two years later, they turbocharged and then suddenly it had got another 200 horsepower and it was a really exciting car. And then the 935 came out, which was uh, more of a custom made uh, race car, but still based on the same uh, shell, the same 911 shell. And that's the car I won the IMSA with. And Porsche sold a lot of those cars. I mean, there were several of those cars uh, running in uh, in the IMSA championship. And then we went from there. I had a thing called the there was a 3 or the K4. They were not all 935s. And then Porsche uh, built the prototypes. And in Europe, it was called the Group C. And in IMSA, it was called um, – what the hell was it called in IMSA? LMP or something like
0: LMP, that. LMP, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but it was a, a custom-built race car, uh, full aerodynamics, Ground effects, you know, we sucked the car down onto the ground, uh, a sensational, sensational car. And of course it won Le Mans so many times. And it was, uh, those were the cars that I had in my team when I had my own team, when I wasn't driving, but I had my own team. And, and we ran a two car team for, uh, for US tobacco to promote their skull banded products. Uh, we ran, ran that in, in Europe and Le Mans. And, uh, we didn't win Le Mans, but we, we, we did well. We were in the, you know, on the podium at Le Mans, the top three. And that was a great car, that really was. But the thing with Porsche is there was, every year they just improved, every year. They were never satisfied. And it was a big jumps as well. It wasn't little jumps, it was big jumps.
0: Yeah, well, adding 200 horsepower to a to an RSR, holy cow. I mean, that's got to be, if I could pick one vintage old Porsche, well, I, I can't pick one, but let's let's say I have to this, this moment. I would love to have an old classic RSR race car. Um, those things were just spectacular. Even pre-turbo, they're just beautiful cars. And the IROC Race of Champions, I mean, is it cool?
1: Well, the, IROC, the Race of Champions was the RSRs. They were all RSRs. I think, uh, uh, didn't Penske run that for them?
0: I believe so. Yeah, um, yeah. That was a great time. All those cars, the different colors, all the incredibly famous drivers ran those things. So, yeah.
1: All the car drivers, the Formula One drivers. Porsche spent a fortune on that. Uh, yeah. And it really put the cars on the map. It really did. Because Porsche in America has been a legend for years and years.
0: Well, it's amazing to me that they still have the 911 going, and they just keep making it better. This latest version of the 911, watching some YouTube videos of people driving them and testing them, it's it's like they just keep getting better. I've had about 12 911s in my life, and every every era just keeps – it's the same car when you get in it. You just feel at home. But it's just that much better. And you go, how can they keep doing this?
1: <laughs> you do. When you're in the car, it feels the same as the last one, except that it goes a lot, lot faster and holds yeah. the road better. But, I mean, you're right. You, you're comfortable in the car. You know where everything is. The gear change falls to hand. And yeah. uh, it's very clever. Very, very clever design. Incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great engineers. Here's a very introspective question for you, Fitz. If uh, you woke up tomorrow and you were a car, could be a race car if you if you prefer but you were a car you actually were manifested as a vehicle what would john fitzpatrick be and why
1: <laughs> nobody's ever asked me this before but what springs to mind is do you remember the 917 turbocharged can car
0: oh of course
1: the penske ran for mark donahue yeah. What a fantastic car that was. That was really a, that was a man's car. And then, and actually the other car that springs to mind, which was incredibly competitive, and I raced against it a couple of times. I was driving a, I was driving an LM Ferrari, which was the rear engine V12. a Nice car, good car. The car I'm talking about is the Chaparral. Do you oh, remember yeah. the Chaparral? The car, oh gosh, gotcha, yeah. The first car with the big wing on the back. Uh, yeah. I think it was 8 8 liters uh, sensational car and uh, I was in a couple of the same races as those guys and when they when that thing came past you it nearly blew you off the road it was incredible. And that well, was, uh, Phil yeah. that was Phil Hill who did all that those races. Oh
0: oh that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he ran those cars. Well, yeah. Chaparral, I mean, uh, that was one of those iconic brands in cars and teams and the engineering, uh, I remember being at the vintage races at Laguna Seca, and they had the chaparrales there, and they jumped in the, the vacuum car.
1: Yeah, and, that's the car you know, I mean. Yeah, that's the car I mean.
0: Yeah, Jim Hall racing, and I mean, just, uh yeah, uh, incredible stuff. Very, very cool. Well, listen, we are coming up to the last lap. This is a place you've been many times. The white flag is out. The checkered is in sight. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that 917 Can Am car throttle. Man, those things are special. Here we go. What's uh, one of your personal habits that you think contributed to your many racing successes? Probably not taking too much advice from other people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive or racing industry living? or deceased,
1: who would that individual be? Well, I, I've been lucky that I've done that with a lot of great, great...
0: No, ki- no kidding, yeah.
1: So I, I am lucky to have done that. I mean, guys like Dan Gurney and Phil Hill and all these sort of people, Carol yeah. Shelby, I mean, just really giants. Uh, I, I was even lucky enough to... Uh, to know Jimmy Clark really well. I mean, oh gosh, wow. So that's that's a really tricky one. I don't think I could come up with somebody
0: off, yeah. No kidding, been there, done that. Well, it, it's just again, people like you, John, the fascinating life. I'm so glad you wrote this book because, uh, memoirs of the people you've been with, the things you've done. Wow, what a life! Uh, how about the best? And this is a funny question after you just said not taking people's advice, but what's the best racing advice you ever received that you did? Take that advice.
1: I can't remember who, but somebody very early on says said uh, smooth is fast.
0: Yes, you know,
1: yeah. sideways is spectacular, but it's not fast. And, I, and that was that was, and I really can't remember who it was, but uh, that was a very. Oh, I know who it was. It was the Dutch guy called Rob Slottermacher, who had a skid school in in Zandvoort. Going back to Jimmy Clark, I was. When I was racing the, the the minis, Jimmy Clark was racing the Lotus Cortinas, and I was at this race at Thraxton in England. It was pouring with rain. We are waiting to go out on the track. I walked to my car, and Jimmy Clark was right next to me. And I was, wow. I was looking really sad. And, I mean, he was world champion then. I was just a saloon car driver. And uh, he came over, and he, I hadn't met him before. And he came over, and he, he said, John, said, I'm Jim Clark. You know, nice to meet you, which was fabulous. And I, yeah. and, uh, I said, God, oh, Jimmy. I said, what a terrible day. He said, John, he said, listen to me. He said, this is your big chance. He said, everybody hates the wet. He said, you've got to love the wet, and if you're smooth and fast, he said, get yourself over to Holland, go and see a guy called Rob Slaughtermarker, who's got a skid school at Zandvoort, and spend the day with him. And he said, you'll never regret it. And that was Jimmy Clark, and I did that, and I never regretted it. And whenever it rained, I used to win. I used to love the wet, because everybody else was scared of the wet. Not yeah. everybody,
0: but they were nervous in the way. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Oh my God. <laughs> that put goosebumps on my arms. That is, I mean, what, and what a, 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 you know, a little piece of who Jim Clark was to walk over and introduce himself. I mean, obviously you knew who he was, but he, he treated you like a, a respectful other driver. He was, res, you know, just, wow. What a wonderful story. You know, I always ask my guests for a favorite book. Obviously, the books that we're pushing here today, and I want to make my listeners aware of these is Fitz, My Life at the Wheel. I'll put links to where to get one of those. And, of course, the second book, John Fitz Porsches, Fitzpatrick's Porsches, is another one you should get your hands on. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag. You've seen lots of checkered flags in your life. This last question, though, can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car, vintage race car, whatever you want. I'm going to buy it for you today. Bring it over there to England and park it outside of Birmingham there. However, there are some rules to my game. Think of me as a sponsor. I I write the check so I get to do things my way. Uh, The first rule is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. That little trick is off the table. You've got to keep it and you've got to drive it. No garage queens here. Uh, But it's the only cool collector car you can have. So what's it going to be?
1: you don't even have to ask me it's got to be a Porsche it's got to yes. be an early nine eleven which I was lucky enough to have in the day uh and uh that's that is the car. if it was if I had to choose one car to spend the rest of my life in it would be an early nine eleven sensational
0: yeah now would this be uh, a pre sixty nine seventy one of the short uh shorter cars or maybe something from the early seventies you have a particular era
1: no no it would probably be a 68 69 911
0: (laughs) s of
1: course great car it was a super super car and yeah my very first race in a porsche was at the nürburgring with a dutch guy called ben Pon, who was a a great porsche racer and he was the porsche importer and uh, that was a 911 s and that was in 1967 and uh, that was my very first race uh, with a porsche and, uh, wow! Never forget it. Fabulous. Absolutely.
0: That's where you fell in love. I had for many years a '72 911s and uh, drove that car a lot. My kids learned how to drive a stick shift in that car. It was just a fantastic car. Yeah, they're just uh, they're they're just iconic. Uh, they're wonderful. And uh, the earlier ones, like you're talking about '68, '69. Wow, what a car! Do you have a particular color? I want to make sure I get you the right ride. Red. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Guards are red. Absolutely. John, this talk has been very special for me. I can't tell you how special it's been. I want to thank you for sharing your life, a little window into your life with my Cars listeners. Before I let you go today, could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the English countryside in that red 911
1: S? Oh, that's a difficult one. We've spoken about lots of things like that. But uh, I suppose if you want advice to anybody really, a lot younger people would just be uh,
0: be nice. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Absolutely. I know you have a, a website. I'm going to put a link to that for my listeners to follow along with you. You can go there. You can learn about his books. You can see all sorts of interesting things. It's johnfitzpatrick.co.uk. I'll put links to that on his show notes page. Of course, you can go to Amazon. You can buy the books. I'll make sure I put links to those. Fitz, thanks for calling in today and for being so generous with your time and sharing a marvelous, incredible life you've had. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. I
1: really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. And good luck to you.
0: Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Hey, Cars yeah! listeners, this is Mark Green. If you love the Cars yeah! podcast, I have something new for you. I've teamed up with Keith Martin, a collector car market expert and the editor of Sports Car Market Magazine to create the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Buy, Sell, Hold is the essence of collecting. Together, we take you on an educational ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so you know when to buy, sell, hold. We talk with seasoned experts, who buy, sell, and hold investment vehicles, and they'll share their insider secrets on how they make their buying decisions when it comes to making these important investments. You'll find the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast on the Cars yeah! website, on the Sports Car Market website, and if you're a podcast app subscriber to Cars yeah!, Buy, Sell, Hold will come right to your mobile device, just like the Cars yeah! podcast, automatically. Join Keith Martin and me on a great new venture on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast today.